Hey everybody and welcome to Breaking Biotech. Thanks for being with me here today. My name is Matt and if you like the show you can help out by clicking the like or subscribe button. You can also donate using the Patreon link in the description below. So I'm glad to be back and I've got a great show for everybody today. I'd like to introduce John Bensich, CEO from Achieve Life Sciences. John, welcome to the show. Hi Matt, yeah, thanks for uh, inviting me. Yeah, well, I'm glad I could get you on because the company's got some pretty exciting stuff coming up soon, the uh, phase three data that's about to come out. So I thought it'd be a great opportunity to have you on and talk about Achieve and all the exciting things you guys are doing. So I think the first thing that might be helpful is if you could give some background on Achieve Life Sciences. Sure, yeah, so at Achieve, we're focused on the development and ultimately commercialization of a drug called cytosinicline. Uh, as an aid to smoking cessation uh, and treatment for nicotine addiction. Uh, and it's a bit of an unusual compound because it has a long history behind it. Uh, this is a drug that's been extensively researched over the years. Uh, in fact, it's a drug that's on the market in Central and Eastern Europe today through our partner. Um, but it's also a drug that's never been available in any major markets. So we were able to get an exclusive license and supply agreement in place for the compound from the originators, a company called Sofarma. Um, and the goal really is to bring this drug first and foremost to the US uh, and then ultimately uh, take it to the rest of the world. And so we have rights to the entire globe outside of 17 countries, predominantly in Central and Eastern Europe where Sofarma currently sells the product. Okay. Awesome. Great. And I think the first thing that came to my mind when uh, I started looking at the company was smokers. Like I don't even know anybody who smokes cigarettes anymore, although I do have a ton of people in my life that that vape. Um, but when I looked at the data, it's like still 31 million Americans smoke today, which is, you know, a huge addressable market. But I wonder if you could tell the viewers about, you know, of those 31 million, how many are trying to quit and how many are successful? Yeah, so this is, uh, you're right, it's well over 30 million here in the U.S. that continue to smoke. You know, on a global basis, it's over a billion. You know, so, you know this is the leading cause of preventable death is, is smoking and related diseases. Um, so it continues to be really a, a, a massive, uh, massive addressable market. Mm -hmm. um, when we look at, you know, how patients kind of cycle through, there's a couple things. One, Nicotine addiction is really, really difficult to quit. You know, most smokers have some desire to quit. Mm -hmm. um, about half make a quit attempt annually, but the success rates are really low, single digits. And yeah. so, um, you know, this is one that folks will cycle through uh, treatment options to, to try to ultimately be abstinent over the long term. Mm -hmm. um, so when you look at in the U.S., the, 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 the portion of the smokers that are actually making quit attempts is just under 20 million wow. annually. Um, and when you look at, you know, kind of diving deeper from there, um, the reality is that very few are getting treated with the available uh, therapeutics that are on mm -hmm. the market today, at least the, the two oral therapeutics, you know, Chantix, which has been the most mm -hmm. successful smoking cessation product um, has been treating less than 4% uh, of the overall market. So we think there's a real opportunity here uh, to expand that. Mm -hmm. And why do you think, and I think, you know, we look at the side effect profile for Chantix, it's obviously not all the way there, although right now it's tough for new patients to even get it, but um, is it the side effect profile that you think what limits people from continuing with Chantix? 
That, that's what we've heard. Uh, we've done work uh, with smokers and that was the number one reason for either not taking uh, the two av available therapies or dropping off early. Mm -hmm. and, and for reference, when you look at Chantix in particular, uh, it's a three month course of treatment. Mm -hmm. uh, and what we see is that only 50% of patients will refill month two uh, and it's less than a quarter will refill month three. Uh, and again, the number one reason given for that is tolerability. So we mm -hmm. think you know, in this indication in particular, the safety and tolerability really is critical. This is not oncology where, where patients are willing to put themselves through just about anything to get out the other side. Yeah. This is more elective. You know, frankly, people like to smoke. They're often yeah. getting pressured from a spouse or a loved one to make a quit attempt. Yeah. And if they feel terrible on the medication, I think it just makes it easier to just give up on the quit attempt and go back to smoking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but when it comes to sort of the other options, I guess, uh, does nicotine replacement rank as like higher proportion of the market of quit smoke people who are trying to quit? Yeah, so if you look at the available options, so you have nicotine replacement therapy. So this comes in various forms, patches, gums, lozenges. Mm -hmm. um, you know, most of these are available over the counter. Um, yeah. So when you think about the, the journey of a smoker looking to quit, you know, it may start Cold, you know, trying cold turkey, you know, that works for some, most people will, re will relapse. Um, they'll often, you know, kind of next step, go to picking up some form of NRT over the counter. Um, you know, that's not terribly effective. It often just leads to substitute addictions where people will use um, those on a longer term basis. You know, my uncle quit now, I think just about four years ago, he still uses a nicotine lozenge on a daily basis. So I think that's pretty common. Um, outside of NRT, then you start, you go into, um, the fact that there's only two non-nicotine approved therapeutics, Chantix being one of them. Um, the other oral therapeutic is a drug called Zyban, uh, which is a repurposed depression drug, also known as Welbutrin. Um, again, not terribly effective, also comes with a number of, uh, of side effects along with it. So, mm -hmm. you know, the options are limited. Chantix was the last approved therapeutic. Uh, and that was over 15 years ago. So, you know, we think there really is a, a pent up demand for additional treatment options in this space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. It's crazy that it's been so long um, that there's been another drug that's come along. But we have cytosinicline. So that's exciting. And can you share with us, you know, how does the efficacy of cytosinicline compare to Chantix or anything else that's available? Many biotech startups don't think that they have the time or money to protect their data. Without a dedicated IT team, data management is everyone's problem. Scientists find themselves redoing work and carrying out tasks outside of their expertise. Management finds themselves struggling to find funding and meet regulatory requirements. Don't let your company set itself up for failure. InfoPathways provides data management, cybersecurity, and technology compliance services for life science firms of any size. InfoPathways specializes in clean rooms, vivariums, GMP or GLP compliant facilities, as well as BSL 1 through 4. No environment or regulation is too complex for InfoPathways. For more information, go to InfoPathways.com or call 410-751-9929 to learn more. And it's definitely something that is outside my expertise. I want to get to the science. So if you're a biotech startup, think about using InfoPathways for all of your IT needs. Go to infopathways.com or call 410-751-9929. And I want to thank them so much for being a sponsor for the show. 
Yes, I think the best way to look at, uh, at efficacy is to do a comparison uh, using odds ratios, um, which is effectively the, uh, the effect of the drug over placebo. I think it, it mutes a lot of the differences, trial design differences, things like that over the years. And the Cochrane Group out of the UK does a lot of great meta-analysis looking, mm. looking at this. Um, and there's been hundreds of trials on the existing therapies um, out, in, out in the, the public domain today. And so when we look at kind of where the existing treatments fall on the spectrum, uh, nicotine replacement therapy and bupropion um, are just under an odds ratio of two. So about two times better than placebo or baseline care, which is often just behavioral support alone. Um, so that is kind of the low end of the bar. Mm -hmm. Chantix has been just under three, an odds ratio of, of three uh, over time. Um, so uh, a bit better. It's, it's definitely the most efficacious product out there. But with that being said, um, four out of five patients will have relapsed six months post initiating therapy. So there's, hmm. you know, even with the most efficacious product, most patients will ultimately re relapse, hmm. unfortunately. Um, what we've seen with cytosinicline historically is an odds ratio of, of just under four. Um, and there's a, a, a wide range. It's been between three and seven. Um, but it's been, you know, at least as good as what we've seen at the top end of the scale, if not better. There's been um, three uh, large investigator-led um, phase three-like trials over the last decade um, that have either been published in the New England Journal uh, or the Journal Addiction. And what we've seen in those is um, one showed superiority over placebo. So uh, just under three and a half times better than placebo at getting patients to quit. Um, another was a head-to-head -head against nicotine replacement therapy, um, designed as a non-inferiority trial, but showed that we were actually superior um, to, uh, to getting patients to quit um, over nicotine replacement therapy. And then the most recent trial was the first ever head-to-head -head directly against Chantix. Um, and in this, we showed we were at least as good in terms of efficacy uh, as Chantix, and we were actually trending towards superiority mm -hmm. in terms of the... Uh, the abstinence rates. And it was about a 50% improvement um, over Chantix that was trending towards significance. So mm. you know, we think we're in the right place from a, uh, a market perspective. What we hear from the, the thought leaders in this space is that the, you know, the clinically meaningful benefit is about an, an odds ratio of two. So anything two or better is clearly relevant in this setting to give patients another, another option. Right. And so in terms of what we can look forward to in the phase threes that are coming out, we're, we're hoping for non-inferiority, obviously, and maybe slightly superior to Chantix. Yeah, so the, the trial we're running right now, ORCA2, um, is a placebo-controlled trial, so we're not uh, comparing ourselves to any of the other therapies. Um, this is not required from a, a regulatory perspective right. uh, for approval, so you know, we feel pretty good based on the historical data sets we've seen um, that we will be able to meet that bar. Okay. And then could you touch a little bit on safety? We mentioned it before, but uh, cytosinicline has a much better safety profile than Chantix or um, Zyban, right? Yep. Yeah, this is um, really one of the critical differences that we've seen historically uh, around the product. Um, with Chantix, you should think we compare ourselves to quite a bit. You know, with Chantix, you get about a 28% rate of nausea and vomiting. And that typically happens in the first couple weeks uh, of therapy. Um, which is why Chantix starts with half a dose for the first week and titrates up. Um, historically, in the way that the drug is presented on the market uh, in Europe today, 
we started a high dose and titrate down, yet we see single digit rates uh, across everything, um, across kind of the typical, um, you know, nausea, sleep disturbances, insomnia, and headache. Um, with Chantix, you do see double digit rates of abnormal dreams and nightmares, uh, as well as insomnia and, and headache. And this is something that we actually came to light. And again, I mentioned this first ever head-to-head -head trial against Chantix. Um, you know, we saw statistically lower rates of adverse events, and it was about 50% fewer for cytosinicline compared to Chantix. Um, that was statistically significant um, and individually significant at nausea and vomiting, uh, insomnia, as well as abnormal dreams. So this is something we've seen comparing across trials, but we, you know, to see it in the same setting was mm -hmm. a real critical takeaway for us. Cause this is yeah. again, something that is more of a consumer focused product. Yeah. Um, and I think safety and tolerability is something that will resonate uh, with smokers looking to quit. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, just the, the stats that you gave about how many patients aren't compliant with Chantix, it seems like there's a real opportunity here for something that's better. And I think the other thing to keep in mind, you know, two years into the Chantix launch, it got hit with a black box warning for suicidality. Um, it took Pfizer the better part of eight years to run a large trial to get that box warning removed. Mm -hmm. um, but what you're not able to remove is a decade of patients and physicians yeah. believing that that's an artifact that comes with the product. So we mm -hmm. know you know, from our interactions with patients and physicians that that still is a barrier, that even mm -hmm. if you know, physicians know this may be the kind of the best option they have in the bag, um, that a lot of times patients just won't go near it. And mm -hmm. so, you know, originally when Chantix was launched, it was meant to be a $2 billion product. Um, but the boxed warning and, you know, just frankly, the nausea and vomiting and other side effects that come with it have really held it back. I think Pfizer did a nice job. It ended up reaching peak sales of uh, $1.1 billion before it went generic last year. Right. Um, so I think Pfizer did a nice job with what they had. But, mm -hmm. you know, also keep in mind that last year in the process when it was going generic Pfizer also withdrew the market withdrew Chantix from the market globally because mm -hmm. they found a potential carcinogen in the drug product so it's been troubled since the outset and I think it you know it's interesting that at the end uh, it was actually pulled from the market and I think there's no no sense of when if ever it will be back in terms of the brand yeah, and I think that's kind of puts you in an interesting spot right now because of the upcoming data that's going to be uh, read out. But um, I guess to touch more on the Chantix thing, the withdrawal, do you think the FDA might see cytosinicline as like potential for accelerated approval given that this unmet need is still there? Or because it's so more of a consumer-driven product, you know, they'd say that it's not unmet because there's nicotine replacement or something like that? Yeah, so you know we've we've pursued some of this historically, and and mm -hmm. to your point, the fact that there are multiple treatment options already available, okay. um, you know, we haven't had success pushing that. I think, you know, we will continue to look for avenues to get this to market quicker, and I think the dynamics have shifted here over the last year with Chantix being withdrawn. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's still you know probably more of a long long shot that we might get yeah. you know an accelerated approval. I do think that the FDA's view of products in this category was was tainted with the Chantix experience and having to put a boxed warning on it. They do know that this drug will be used by millions of patients. Um, and so I think they do want to make sure that they've got a robust data set to review mm -hmm. for approval. 
Um, and what we're hearing is that they want, you know, roughly a, a safety database of 1500 subjects, mm -hmm. uh, you know, effectively discounting a lot of the historical European data, the fact that it's been on the market and used by over 20 million subjects, that's, you know, that's not going to be subject to their review. They want to see new data with strong safety reporting and efficacy uh, for approval. And, and I think given the size of the market, I don't think that's unreasonable. Mm -hmm. You you answered my question there because I was curious. Given there are so many investigator-led trials, I was surprised to see that the FDA still wants you guys to do these large-scale phase three trials. But but it does make sense that they've had some rough goes with previous uh, um, smoking cessation drugs that they want to you know do the same kind of diligence with cytosinicline. Yeah, and you know early on we did look at getting this on the market you know in a in a without doing any additional work. Um, frankly, look, there's been some great studies that have been run. We know this has been on the market for 20 plus years, huge safety database in Europe. Is that sufficient for approval? And unfortunately, the FDA and other regulators came back and said, no, nope, we see this as a new chemical entity and you're going to have to deliver anything that, you know, that would be expected from any new drug moving forward. Yeah, too bad. But, you know, yeah. that, that's all right. There's still a huge potential here. I think the, the one thing from an investor standpoint that I'm curious that you, if you could expand on is, you know, you mentioned that Achieve is an exclusive license from SoFarm for the drug to, you know, to be marketed in, in a bunch of countries, especially the U.S. Um, but can you speak to the strength of the IP? You know, the drug's been approved for a while. So, you know, can you let investors know, give them some confidence that you'll have protection, um, once the drug goes through all of this, all of the trials and approvals that you'll be able to have exclusivity for a certain amount of time. Yeah, no, great, great question. So we, this is, yeah, you're absolutely right. This is the drug that's been on the market for many, many years. So, you know, IP can be challenging with assets like this. So what we've been doing is building up a series of patent families around formulation, method of use, uh, as well as a number of other attributes to basically create picket fences around this. Um, to date, we have seven granted patents um, across seven patent families and another 34 pending patents that are working their way through. Um, so we see this as continuing to grow. I think the most important of, of these patents was uh, granted last year by the USPTO. Um, and this is on the current dose and administration that we're using in the clinic in our phase three trials. Okay. Um, and this was data that came out of our phase two work that was a double blind placebo controlled trial. So it's actually a really robust data set. And I think there's precedent in the market for products uh, like Galenia um, that is a $3 billion a year product that doesn't have composition of matter on the molecule. It's only protected mm -hmm. by a dose and administration patent. Okay. Um, so we feel pretty good that that is going to hold up and that patent goes out to 2040. Oh, wow. um, so, so we feel pretty good about where we're headed. That is an orange book listable patent. Um, and so if you think of kind of the worst case scenario, mm -hmm. you know, we will get five years under Hatch-Waxman. Um, now with an orange book listed patent, there'll be a 30 month stay on generics. So that would take us out to seven and a half years at the earliest. Um, in Europe, there's up to 10 years of exclusivity in, in markets where it's not already approved. Mm -hmm. um, so again, that's kind of the, the, the low end, but we think our IP is gonna hold up uh, over the long haul. Mm -hmm. In addition, uh, we haven't talked about it yet, but the drug is also naturally derived. Um, so we've been sourcing it from the seeds of the laburnum tree. So there's an annual harvest process and then a robust extraction process made from 
uh, from the seeds. This is not, you know, just grinding up the, yeah. the seeds and putting them in a tablet. It's a, um, it's a very small proportion of the, the seeds that the active ingredient is coming from. Okay. Um, and so we see a lot of protection in our exclusive supply agreement with SoPharma. Um, and currently, there's no feasible way to make this synthetically. It's something that we've looked into. But what nature produces, um, it's 100% minus an antimer of the drug. So you can produce a racemic mixture, but to purify it down to 100% minus um, has, is just not commercially feasible. So um, anyone coming in from a generics perspective would have to find access to, uh, to supply, which I, I think is not inconsequential. So okay. um, we think kind of the combination of the patents as well as the supply agreement is, is going to protect us well into the future. Awesome. Great. That's, uh, that makes me feel better. And uh, I think there's still an open wound about what happened with Ameren, which I know there's a bunch of uh, people in, in part of your leadership team who are formerly part of that company. So uh, better to do a lot of diligence in this area before we get too excited. But it seems like you guys have really done a lot of work in this area. Yeah, and I think our IP is um, being generated earlier in the development. I think a lot of what uh, what Amber had came later stage out of their phase yeah. three trials, and I think that has hurt them. I think we'll still see kind of where the where the patents come out on their side, but we feel we feel good about what we have. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Um, then from a regulatory standpoint, you know we've got the Orca two data about to come out. Does the company see uh, any potential for taking the ORCA2 data to the FDA after assuming it's positive and seeing whether or not they would accept that and green light an NDA submission? We'll, we'll certainly have uh, those discussions depending on the strength of the ORCA2 data set. Um, I will note that in January of this year, we did uh, launch the second confirmatory phase three trial, uh, which is called ORCA3. Um, so, you know, we looked at kind of, you know, what we heard from the FDA originally is two well-controlled trials. Uh, we could have certainly waited for ORCA2 data, had a conversation with the FDA in terms of can we get this accelerated and then move forward from there. Um, we see that as having some risk to it. And mm -hmm. so we took the stance that let's remove the risk. Let's get that second trial up and running now. So that would shave at a minimum six months off the back end um, if it was required mm -hmm. um, and basically deliver to the FDA what, what they've asked for originally at our end of phase two meeting. Right. So that is now up and running. Um, I think based on timing, we would anticipate data on that trial first half of next year. Um, and that will likely be the final piece of the regulatory puzzle to move forward with an NDA uh, in the second half of 2023. Mm -hmm. um, okay. I think with that being said, we'll certainly talk to the FDA about ways to accelerate that with a strong ORCA2 result. Mm -hmm. Okay, awesome. And yeah, I feel like the FDA has changed so much uh, just over the last few years that I guess you never know what you're going to get, right? <laughs> this, is, this is true. I do think yeah. we have a good tailwind. We've got a great, uh, great interactions and collaborative uh, nature with the FDA on this indication. Uh, and I think, you know, there's been a lot going on with with vaping and e-cigarettes, you know, that the FDA yeah. is now overseeing. And I think that's played into them being very helpful uh, mm -hmm. with our development. Yeah, that's awesome. That's true, actually. I think we've seen a lot of press releases around like the FDA uh, really taking an interest in vaping and things like that and flavored nicotine and all that. Um, great. So I think I want to move to, you know, say we get approval for cytosinicline. Um, is the company hoping to commercialize this on their own? In the U.S. versus EU, do you have a interest in partnering with anybody? Have any of those discussions started? 
Yeah. So, um, you know, we've always believed that um, we would need a commercial partner to really maximize the revenue potential here. I think if you look at the market today, it is sold through a primary care sales force. If you look at, at Chantix and others, um, you know, I think for us as a small company, it's probably not the right approach to try to spin up a large sales force. Um, so we have been, you know, uh, looking for commercial potential commercial partners, you know, whether that be uh, big biotech or pharma, um, but someone that already has a primary care footprint, one that we can plug and play this product into, we think that's uh, the right approach. I think with that being said, we do see an opportunity with this product to take it direct to consumers uh, and leverage digital marketing, uh, as well as telehealth. Um, you know, similar to what you might see today with a, a hymns and hers yeah. or a row that are currently selling generic products direct to consumers online. You know, there is um, lots of companies out there that we could basically white label their platform that would help facilitate the telehealth visit and act as the back end pharmacy to, to ship mm. out. And we think smoking cessation is an indication that would resonate uh, in yeah. that sort of model. Um, so that's something we could clearly do on our own or side by side with a partner and would be a lower cost of, of capital to, to take that forward. Um, but again, I think the right approach will be to have a commercial partner, um, you know, that's, you know, firing on the, the primary care market while perhaps we're, we're also tackling the um, kind of direct to consumer angle. Okay, great. That's good to know. So that's most of my questions in terms of when we can expect Orca 2 in the next month or so. Yeah, we've been, you know, originally we were guiding to the first half of the year. Um, we kind of clarified that to the second quarter. Um, so, you know, we're cresting into the second quarter here very, very quickly. So I think it, you know, it really is imminent. So I think, you know, stay tuned for that. Um, I think the other piece that, uh, you know, we haven't talked about is uh, we did get a grant last summer uh, from the NIH to run a phase two trial to help people quit nicotine e-cigarettes. Okay. Um, and so we've designed a phase two proof of concept trial, be 150 subjects, um, and that will be funded in part by that NIH grant. Uh, we're currently working our way through that process right now, um, but we are anticipating launching that phase two trial by the end of the second quarter of this year. And um, that would likely have uh, data again, first half of, of next year. Um, and we're pretty excited. You know, this is an area currently there are no products indicated to help people quit e-cigarettes and vapes. Hmm. Um, given all the other products on the market are currently generic, no one's looking into this. Hmm. So we see oh. this as a commercial opportunity that we could wholly own and not just be an aid to smoking cessation, but treatment for nicotine addiction more broadly. Um, yeah. So this, this, this is moving ahead quickly. And, you know, I think when you look at the markets today, there's currently 11 million e-cigarette users wow. in the U.S., um, approaching 100 million globally. Um, yet we haven't seen a real decline in the number of, of, of cigarette users. Um, and so I, I think the overall markets are expanding. And I think this is the right place for us to be long term, as I think Philip Morris and others are making yeah. this shift towards you know, a, a smoke-free world, mm -hmm. um, you know, which I think is really means a, a push towards the e-cigarette uh, versions of their products. So yeah, yeah. Um, stay tuned on that. But that that's one that uh, we're pretty excited about moving forward. Yeah, that's great. I never really thought of it because I would just assume that anything that would have efficacy in smoking cessation would just translate. But I guess if the doctor wants to write a prescription, they really, the drug needs to have the indication, right? Yeah, and it could be used off-label. It wouldn't stop that. I think we know that certain products are used for 
chewing tobacco and things like that. But I think to be able to go out and market it, I think yeah. would set us apart from the other products that are out there. Yeah, that's true. It would be FDA approved for that indication. And that does have a lot of impact, I think. Yep, exactly. Okay, great. Well, thanks a lot, John. I appreciate your time today. Um, people should check out the website. Is there social media you'd like to share? Uh, we are on, on Twitter as well. So I can look up uh, ACHV um, on, on that platform as well. Awesome. And I do just want to mention, you know, the company's trading at a $70 million market cap today and the Chantix sales, like you mentioned, 1.1 billion. So I think there's a real opportunity here for investors. Thanks again, John, for your time. I, I do appreciate it. And everybody go check out Achieve Life Sciences and we're going to wrap it up there. But thanks everybody. And we'll see you next time.